Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, it's a snow week again for a lot of us, whether you love it or loathe it, and I am definitely cuddling up to the radiator while I'm working from home. I've got four layers on my top half, and I'm starting to wonder whether I can somehow fit on another one, a hat, gloves, something along those lines. But uh, hopefully you are managing to to get your horses done still in the snow and they're not cooped up and, and going too crazy. This week, I spoke to Pippa Funnel, who, with her husband William, has guest edited this week's magazine. Pippa gave us some brilliant insight into how the pair build relationships with their young horses. The horses are not tools for our trade, and they mustn't be treated like tools for our trade. We want them to be our friends, and that is something I am absolutely passionate about. I'll also be talking to our news team about the plight of riding schools and the role of officials in eventing safety. Finally, Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems, gives his advice on dealing with nappy horses. The napping is basically your horse not wanting to go where you want it to go. If you're looking where you're going, you have purpose, you have a, a will to get there. It's amazing how your horse picks up on that leadership and you'll get your horse back on the straight and narrow. So that's enough of me. Hop up on the mounting block and let's get going. I'm delighted to introduce this week's guest. She was the first winner of the Rolex Grand Slam. She's a three-time badminton winner, a double European champion and the winner of three Olympic medals. She is, of course, Pippa Funnel. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, Pippa. Hi, this is good to be on. And Pippa, you are here with us because you've been guest editing this week's issue of Horse and Hound magazine alongside your husband, William. How have you found it? How has it been sort of working with the Horse and Hound team and being a bit more closely involved in the magazine? Well, I mean, I've been obviously, well, I haven't been involved with the magazine, but it's one thing right throughout my whole equestrian year. I've always, every, I don't know, we've, we've never missed a week, so we've always been passionate sort of followers and, and catch up on all the all-round equestrian news from Horse and Hound. That is our link to the outside, um, all the other disciplines within the equestrian world. So um, we felt very privileged and very honoured to be asked to um, edit it. So it was, yeah, and it's been great working with the team. Um, probably uh, the funnels aren't known to be the easiest to get hold of or track down because we spend all of our time like many people with the horses and only comes to you know getting inside in the evenings and 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 that's the time to catch us yeah and I know this is something we've been talking about for a while because I was down at yours with uh, Gemma Tattersall and Gemma was guest editing a, a couple of years ago 18 months ago and we were uh, doing a feature where you and Gemma talked as part of her guest edit and I know that William was there then and he was joking along and saying oh uh, they want us to do this guest editing how's it going Gemma you know is it a lot of work so it's been a while in the pipeline but I'm so glad we finally got it coming together and it's something that's that's coming to our readers this week as well as having you on the podcast so that's so exciting. Well, I, I just, I hope the readers in, enjoy it and, and um, what, what we're covering is, is two sort of um, things that we're both, William and I, are absolutely passionate about and, and the, with the producing of young horses and hopefully the educating of young riders. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to talk about those things because I know they're things that you are so passionate about and could discuss for hours. And one of the features that uh, that's in the magazine is about seven principles for training young horses. And one of the ones that uh, you've spoken about is consistency. Could you sort of elaborate for us on, on what that might look like sort of day to day in training a young horse, how you put that consistency in place? Well, I think, you know, people can, within a session, people can obviously be disciplined in the way they work a horse on the flat, for example, and they could concentrate about on transitions and things or concentrate on having the horses in, in front of the, the leg and off the leg. But then when I say consistency or we say consistency, what's the point in doing all that work, working on transitions, if you then go out hacking and you... Are lazy about it you don't instill that same level of discipline or you finish a round of show jumping and they fall in a heap you know so the horse doesn't know so it is the consistency by repeat repeat and always the same sort of standards that's where the horse is going to consistently learn and 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 you know that is where i think people get lazy or or not so much lazy but they don't just discipline their own minds enough to think okay I've got to carry this through whatever I do with the horse you know whether it's hacking whether it's jumping whether it's in the school doing dressage or so so that's what we were saying and and the consistency in the way you treat them there's no point in sort of being quietly firm with them one day and then completely letting them get away with something the next day you know they don't know it's a bit like a a kid you think you know, for an easy life, you might tell them off about something for one day or say it's got to be done like this. And then you can't, you know, you don't want to go through the aggro next day. So you think, oh, well, I'll let them, you know, I just won't bother today, you know, let them get off, you know, say easy life. I'll just ignore it. And then so they don't know where they stand. And by being disciplined and consistent with the horses, they know they know the situation Then they understand. Mm, I was going to ask whether it's something that sort of carries through in in your handling of the horses from the ground as well as riding. And it's it's very obvious that 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 is the case and you need that consistency dismounted as well as mounted. Absolutely. And I think when the horses understand the the rules, because don't get me wrong or, or William wrong is is one thing we absolutely want right from day one when we start handling these young horses we want them to be our friends and that is something i'm absolutely passionate about the horses are not tools for our trade and they mustn't be treated like tools for the for our trade they are to be treated like our best buddies that we want to form a really good partnership that we work together and that they respect us likewise we respect them um so i think that is is something that is so important that sort of whole friendship sort of build up of that partnership and that is key it is something it's something i really believe in Pippa, are these principles something that you've sort of learned over the years or something that someone has taught you or a combination of people how did you sort of come to believe in in doing things this way well yeah, I think I've always been um, that way in thinking. And obviously, Ruth was was similar in, in the way she dealt with things, that it was always um, done very much on a consistent basis. And and as I said, when I, well, when I was little, you know, it was always my main thing. I wanted my ponies to love me and I, and I loved them to bits. Um, but it was that... Uh, 
And, and the same with William, that we found that was the way, you know, I think it's, it's, it's if I'm honest, it's common sense, really, that, that, that you, yes, you have your system and, and we are, we stick to that system. And if, if the horse needs a kick because it's a, behind the leg, it, it has a kick and, and it's just so obvious, particularly with young horses, when they know the situation and they know you're their friend, you know, being black and white with them that, you know, that is wrong and that is right. But it doesn't mean it's done in a you, you might have to sort of explain it to the horse. No, you're not to just barge over me. But as soon as you say behave yourself or stand still, I use my voice and the tone of my voice. And as soon as they do, then you reward them with a softer voice or a pat or, you, you know, it's, it's being crystal clear in the vibes you give the horse. So it understands you know, no is no and yes is yes. You know, I want to train my horses when they're washed, being washed off and I'm on the ground, they don't move around. So if that means just one little yank on the lead rope when they go to fidget and as soon as they stand, you go, good boy, you know, so they understand and very quickly they they pick up and, and that's the whole sort of way I do it. And, and, you know, when they're like that and then you love them to bits, but if... You know, I love mine to bits, but at the same time, I don't spoil them. I don't want a spoiled horse, um, but but they know the they know the terms. They understand the terms. Yeah, absolutely, Pippa. That, that makes so much sense. And and you were just referencing Ruth McMullen there, who was one of your sort of very early and influential trainers. I know. And talking about sort of passing knowledge on to to young riders in the way that Ruth did to you. That's another of your passions is for you to pass on what you've learned over the years to young riders. And I know that it's one of the reasons you're involved in the Windrush Equestrian Foundation, which is a program that gives training with you to its scholars. Could you tell us a little more about that program and and what you do with those young riders? I mean, yes, Ruth McMullen, I mean, I was, I owe my whole equestrian life to Ruth, really, because it was through her that I had the ponies and things and, and, and horses, and she owned my first horse, Sir Barnaby. And I spent an eight-year apprenticeship with her. That was the only way I could do it. But she gave me such an amazing grounding in the importance of the rider. And, you know, it is... Work, and, and the way she works is working on the rider. And she always used to say 95% of a, of a horse's problem is the rider on top. So I've always had that mindset. And she was absolutely meticulous about, you know, our balance and where we were sitting and where, that we were straight and explained the effect it had on horses. And to start with it slightly, the first few years went over my head. But actually, when the penny dropped, then I really started to understand the importance of the horse being straight underneath you and forward and in front of you. Um, but I learned through Ruth that actually, how can a horse go straight and be forward if the rider is sitting crooked? So she would always work rather than working straight away on the horse to straighten it up. She would straight away work on the rider, straighten the rider. And then most of the time the horse naturally will then find it easier and come a lot straighter anyway. And it's only because horses get and allowed into these bad habits or riders haven't sat straight. So horses haven't been trained to go straight because the rider sat crooked. And then over, over time, you know, horses develop a habit of not being straight and and over a long period of time, then that actually can cause a lot of soundness issues if a horse isn't pushing equally from behind because the rider's sitting crooked. 
And so that was one of my key, such key fundamental learning things with Ruth that, and she took me right back to walk. You know, if we couldn't get it right at walk, there's no point in trotting and cantering. And it was the attention to, to getting it right at that, that was, that was the first thing. And, and so I've been so fortunate by having her help. And then obviously over the years, I've, I've just been so lucky, whether it's Tracy Robinson, Yogi, Christopher Bartle, you know, I've had so help from so many people um, over the years on top of my husband and jumping people. And I sort of thought, you know, I've always been taught, um, yes, you can say, have I got talent? I don't, I don't particularly, people might say, well, of course she's got talent, she's won, won what she's won, but I never felt I had talent. I did feel as though I, I found a way of getting into horses' minds and trying to find that empathy and, and build that partnership with whatever I sat on. Um, but riding ability-wise, I really didn't feel I did have that much and I had to work very hard and and so I think a lot of what I want because I haven't naturally or found it that natural and I've had to work away I think that's helped me with being able to teach and explain because I've been through that and I wanted to put back in because I love yes I love helping the young riders I love well I love helping anyone but actually the reason why I love doing it because if that helps the horses and helps them go on spread the word you know if they learn from me then a lot of them will then go on and teach and help you know younger people and so it's it's horses though you know that will benefit and I know a lot of people have different systems and it's it's important that there are different systems but but I am passion <laughs> that the system that I use or William and I use is a system that we really feel is in the best the best horse's interest it's not done by force it's it's done by just a long hard slog you know as in when I say a long hard slog there are no shortcuts in this game and I think people in this day and that's what I tried to explain to these young riders is there's Everyone wants to be in a hurry. Okay, yes, with COVID, it's, to be honest, it's slowed everything down because there isn't that pressure. There's another big competition, another you know, big competition week after week. So people you know, have been under pressure to just get out and do it and do it and get the horses up the grades. Whereas, you know, it's not about you. It's, to me, it's about taking the time to get the basics absolutely right. And that's what I do with the young riders to explain that. And it's not... The system, there is not one system for every horse. You know, every horse is different. So how you deal with it, you have to climb into their heads. But it's still, the basics are still, it's about building those foundations, the scales of training, you know, that you teach them the sort of straightness in front of the leg, the impulsion, the balance, let them carry themselves. And on top of that, we then, with, my, with the young riders, we go into more detail because I want to teach them to be horse horsemen and and horsemanship isn't just about being a good rider horsemanship is about yes being able to read the horse you know and the people don't read horses to me oh, i'm not saying because a lot do but some don't have that knack of sensing actually the horse is a little bit worried here or or i've got to just back off a little bit here or actually i can take it this is the moment to take it out of the box ask a bit more of the horse you know so it works 
both ends of the scale. And, and, and so we, with the Young Riders, we cover the Windrush Young Rider Equestrian Foundation. We, co we cover all aspects of equestrianism. So I, you know, whether it's t t explaining how to feel their teeth, to know actually their teeth are sharp, we need to get the horse dentist in. Veterinary issues are covered with a vet. We have media, so the guys are, are trained with social media. We talk about the owners, you know, dealing with owners. We talk about dealing with sponsors. We talk about fitness. We talk about planning what, you know, how do we know when to move the horses up to the next grade. We, basically, whatever you think, we, we try and cover it. Mm. And uh, that's that's an interesting one. I remember when I was at your yard last year for one of those Windrush Equestrian Foundation training days, one of the things we were talking about then was sort of planning a season and, and then being able to adapt plans as, as things develop, which you just touched on there in terms of when you might move a horse up the grades and, and waiting until horses are ready for that. And I feel like uh, with COVID at the moment, it, it's even more important to have a plan, but also to be flexible with that plan. Could you give us a little bit of insight into what you talk to with those young, talk about with those young people when you're talking about sort of season planning and, and that sort of area with horses yeah so so I've already um spoken to them all um a bit and unfortunately we've had to cancel the five days um where they were all coming together at the beginning of February which is really sad but we will try and sort something out at a later date when it all opens up a bit more um I think the key thing that, that I've said to them is that exactly that. You've got to have an A plan and a B plan and probably a C and a D plan. In our case, the season isn't going to be starting until, well, beginning of April. So we're not going to get the March events. I think it's very important, and I, and I said to them, is that I think it's very important that we put, spend this time obviously working on the basics and getting them fit as if, the season is going to start in in March because there's one thing what we don't want is to be holding back on the fitness and then it gets going and then the horses aren't fit enough. To me, I think you want, I, or what I've advised, a bit like me, is that I'm going to work away on my horses, getting them fit, starting galloping them when I normally gallop them because once they're up to that level of fitness, they actually then don't, lose it whereas if you haven't got them fit and then it starts up then you're stuck um also it's it's obviously you know they've got to and that's where again i'll, I'll advise them on individual horses but i think it's key that you you go again on the on the feeling you're getting from the horses so just because they might have their set goal if they've missed a few runs and the horses don't feel ready, then they're going to have to have that B or C option. Mm. You know, what they want might not suit what the horse is ready for. And yes, we can, we can, for sure, I think we're going to have to have more cross-country training sessions. But again, it depends when that opens up. So I, I've said to them, once the horses are jumping more, um, they need to be maybe we need to be doing a few more tricky lines in schools and and lots of work which I naturally do anyway I mean I was so lucky because I've got the hill work but this is what I discussed with them and I was actually discussing with one of them with a, about a horse coming back um, in, in rehab it's had time off of 
it's had a, over a year off and, and it's not doing anything apart from walking a little bit of trocketing and it's not really started working yet. And I was actually just this morning, I was speaking to them saying, it's really important that you don't just put one of your, one of your girls um, on the horse just to walk down the road. I said, you're better off to spend this time or, or the same with the you. Don't just get on it and walk it and trot it a bit. I said, walk it and train it. You know, work on the straightness, work on your la bit of lateral work, work on making it stand square, make it, you know, rein back a bit, make it walk over trot poles so it's having to use itself a bit more and lift its legs a bit higher. So many things you can be doing, strengthening it, and helping its top line to develop um, and, and really giving yourself time to perfect some of those things that people rather brush over. And that will help the horse in its core, lifting its tummy and developing strong. Whereas if you just spend this time just slopping it, you know, on a relaxed rein, you know, make it march out if it hacks in walk. And do you understand what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that that totally makes makes sense, Pippa. So walking isn't just a fitness exercise, but it's a training sort of session at the same yeah. time. You know, all those things. It is about um, building up that sort of all round core sort of fitness that the horse has, a bit like us. That that whole because no matter what, the most important thing is when the events start going, whenever they start going, whatever our aims are the horses have got to be ready and they've got to be fit for it because if if the management and the fitness is all there then you are far far um, less likely to have injuries and Pippa finally and we're talking about plans and, and starting eventing and uh, keeping everything crossed that can happen tell us a little bit about your spring plans do you have horses that you're aiming for sort of the, the badminton we're hoping to have behind closed doors Yes, um, I've got all of mine back. Um, I've got uh, seven, eight horses that are going to be eventing, um, of which I've got hopefully three for five-star level. They're in good form. I'm doing exactly what I said, work, working away with my A plan, my B plan. Um, they're feeling great. I personally, I'm old-fashioned. I do turn mine out in the field, no shoes on. They've done six weeks of you know they did six weeks of, of the slow walking trotting road work now they're well on their way in the school in fact most of them had their first jump yesterday they they're all on good form yes hopefully I will take some to badminton hopefully I've got maybe one or two um, for Bramham as well or that sort of level and Pippa, I know that in past years you've gone down to the Spanish Sunshine Tour and got some jumping in at this time of year. Is that on the cards or with COVID, are you, are you sort of staying more local this spring? I have to say that this, um, this spring, sadly, I'm not going to Spain. William is hoping to go to Spain. Um, but I've decided, no, I'm going to actually concentrate on my event horses. Um, you know, hopefully the Olympics is going to take place again yes you know there are a lot of us fighting for three places I'm absolutely ser very serious still in my role as a competitor you know I, I really am being very focused on my own fitness and and I've 
been running and I've been doing circuit training and so I'm trying to get as, as fit as I can to get ahead of the game. I mean, God, there are a lot of young ones coming through and we've got to somehow try and give them a run for their money. So I'm not going to Spain, no, concentrating on the event horses. Mm, listeners I can attest that when I spoke to Pippa the other morning she had just come in from running so I'm definitely believing her that she's uh, getting out there pounding in her trainers but thank you so much for joining us today Pippa it's so great to get some insight from you and um, we're so thrilled to have you editing the magazine this week as well well I hope people enjoy it really and and we basically as we said we've just covered what we sort of believe in the system that works for us thank you very much for joining us today Thanks, Pippa. So I'm joined this week by two members of our news team to chat over what's been happening. First of all, our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Eleanor, how's it going with you? Have you got much snow? Ugh. <laughs> I think that sums it up. Uh, I'm in Kent and we've managed to get away without any snow so far this winter got loads and I hate it <laughs> oh is it problematic for doing your horses yeah the, the first day they all went out and just stood there and ate the hay and then since then they've been sort of doing the wall of death around the field and you just oh no please don't <laughs> oh dear and we also have with us Lucy Elder our senior news writer what about you Lucy how's the, the snow situation Oh, we've got absolutely loads up here. We must be under one of those um, snow streamers that they keep mentioning on the weather. We've probably got, looking out the window today, I'd say about eight or nine inches. It's, oh, wow. um, yeah, okay. <laughs> real snow. So I'm very, very much snowed in. Um, but fortunately, I'm sort of snowed into the bubble that involves uh, where my horse is. So I don't have to go out for any reason at the moment. So, uh, yeah, very pretty. But <laughs> I, I would quite like spring to come uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I was just talking about, to my parents about that over the weekend and uh, saying, well, you know, hopefully we get into March, you'll be vaccinated, spring will yeah. come and, you know, things will things will start to look up. At the moment, it's like snowed in, locked down. It's, uh, we, I think we all want to sort of see the end in sight, don't we? We certainly do. But um, there was some good racing on this weekend, though, while it was being while it was cold and wet. So I quite enjoyed um, having a not feeling guilty about hibernating in front of the, the TV for most of Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, we're not big telly watchers in our house, but um, I have to say that, uh, that in, into this lockdown, we've uh, we've started to get a bit more into it. And we're currently enjoying Rick Stein's Cornwall as our evening viewing, mainly just because we like to eat and a lot of it's about food. <laughs> On to the horsey news, since that's what we're here to talk about. Eleanor, we are talking about riding schools again this week. And it's a topic that we've touched on already on the podcast during this lockdown. But a lot of schools are sort of reaching a crisis point now, aren't they? Yeah, it just it's so tough. I mean, um, the first lockdown, uh, a lot of the horses and ponies could go out. It was spring, the weather was good. And now obviously, it's the worst bit of the winter. There's, you know, some some of the riding schools I've spoken to have got 15,000 pounds monthly costs, because they've obviously got to feed still hay, water, electricity with the snow we've now got, it's even more hay and bedding. And yeah, it's just it really is a crisis point. And what are schools doing to try to to try to survive and get get some income? A lot of them um, have started up just giving or or other crowdfunding pages. There's there's been some some lovely stories about people sort of adopting ponies and paying for lessons in advance. Um, one riding school I spoke to, the owner's dad has been selling his paintings 
to help build up funds. Um, and also the British Horse Society has launched the fourth phase of its hardship fund, uh, which is for BHS approved centres to apply to for grants to help with the bills. Um, and that will mean, I think it's a total of a million pounds that they've now raised and made available for use, which is brilliant. And of course, some of the sort of government schemes are are good for other businesses, but they don't work for riding schools. Like, you know, if you've got a whole lot of ponies and you can't put all your staff on furlough, can you? No, you just and that's the problem. And and wage wages is often one of the biggest costs for for riding centres anyway. And yeah, they can't take advantage of furlough because and especially if horses and ponies can't go out, they need to be ridden and yeah it's it's a perfect storm it's been described as i did speak to one um a riding school owner who had had something 1300 pounds i think from the self-employed grant and that was it because she always pays herself such a low wage so it's so tough and what are the hopes in terms of riding schools reopening is there any sort of end in sight well, the BHS is, is on the British Horse Council and they've been working with the government really trying as hard as they can to get riding schools to be able to open as soon as possible, hopefully when the schools do. Um, they The BHS was also on the all-party parliamentary group for the horse last week and the chairman has said he will also go to DEFRA and the sports minister to try and get us to be able to open as soon as possible. So uh, sort of second week in March, I think, is the earliest possible date for schools opening. So that would be sort of a month away if if that did happen. Yeah, yeah. And at least because one thing that a lot of the riding schools I've spoken to have said is that one of the very hard things is that they don't know how long they've got to survive for. Um, so if there was a date, at least that would be, well, that's ha- where we've got to get to. And, you know, there is some, hopefully it will, things will be brighter after that because there has been a lot of schools have reported higher demands since the first lockdown. So hopefully, pe- and then the weather will be better. So hopefully people will want to get back to their lessons as soon as they can. Mm. And you've also looked at the situation in Scotland. Things are slightly different there, aren't they? Yeah, so of course they've got, um, with the the devolved administration, they've got different support on offer. So they've got, of course, all the same, you know, um, things making it harder than last lockdown. But we've spoken to some who have been given support and some who haven't. Um, And it just seems like there may be some inconsistency or perceived inconsistency up there as to who gets the help. Because some schools are able to do one-to-one lessons in Scotland, is that right? Yeah, sorry, yes. So they are allowed to do one-to-ones, but some, the ones we have spoken to have said we don't feel we can do that um, for for varying reasons. And of course, for some others, it, it isn't worth it to be able to do that. So although it is a slightly different situation in, in some respects, it's it's the same. They've got the very same challenges. Hmm. Well, thank you, Eleanor. That's a, a serious situation for uh, for riding schools and, and one that you've been speaking to the, the sort of mainstream non-equestrian press about today as well. So good on you for doing your bit and, and lobbying for the horse world in the mm-hmm. in, in the wider press too. Lucy, I'm coming to you now. And um, you, you seem to be the person who always gets the sort of news stories that uh, that come as a series. You've, uh, we've stitched up Brexit now in the Brexit trilogy and um, we're on to eventing safety. And, and this week you've been looking at some more news from the FBI event risk management seminar what were you focusing on this time so this week I was taking a look at the role of officials in eventing safety and I thought this one was I they've I mean the whole seminar itself has been interesting and started making me think there's a lot of talk about you know be better which is really in itself isn't a very helpful thing to say to a rider so the whole seminar was about how can we help riders take that responsibility and therefore become better and so it looked at the 
different roles of you know coaching education and and riders themselves and then this week was as I said on um on the officials so particularly the ground jury technical delegates and course designers and the main thing that came out of this was the importance of praising good horsemanship in all its forms so and we all know how how easy and how often people are praised for you know the double clears oh brilliant well done but this is about praising people for making the right decisions where it might not look like they've had the best day on paper if that makes sense but if they've done the right thing by their horse then um, it was Alec Hall that was saying that people should be praised for that 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 needs we need to make more of a big deal about that because through doing that that is one of the ways that we can help riders to to see that they're doing the right thing if that makes sense so I thought Mm. that was really fascinating and Alec of course wears a lot of hats he's an event organizer he's been a technical delegate and sort of around the world and 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 sort of on that note of good horsemanship he was saying that sometimes you know to pull up a horse is the right decision and, and people should be praised for that that's what he was saying wasn't it exactly that and he also went into um talking about how um, they were talking about coaches being braver in the story that i wrote last week and also this week about how officials need to be braver in their decisions and you know that's not pulling people up unnecessarily but it's about if if they see something and they think oh i'm not sure that's right rather than sitting on that and thinking oh we'll wait and see what happens which i'm not saying people do already but they're saying you know be vocal say go on the radio and say oh I'm not sure you know what do you think about this and and following that through so that things aren't aren't being missed um and people are getting the right messages I think is what a lot of it's about and openness and transparency they even went into things such as for example we talk a lot about we've talked a lot on horse and hound um in previous years about the so-called flag rule um and penalties from that and there was discussion about whether it would be easier and also just more open and um better for riders and connections to see uh, you know they've got a penalty on the board but a notice next to it saying penalty pending or something like that or pending review so that people are understanding you know that that's going through a process of it might change and it's not set in stone but and similarly the other way around so you're not finding you're getting penalties later on so there's a lot of talk about about not just you know making making the sport safer but about making it better and all the little things that people can do that actually add up to be to be the quite big things and if you're making it safer and the experience better for an individual that all adds up until you've got a better and safer sport so yeah I really enjoyed actually looking looking into those this, these past couple of weeks. Mm, and I thought it was really interesting as well that, that your story included the fact that the course designer at FEI events is going to have a sort of more involved role on the day, sort of working with the other officials to deal with things like judging queries. And if there are sort of questions about specific fences, if there have been a lot of falls or something has changed because of the weather and conditions that the course designer would be more involved in those conversations. I think that's a real positive because nobody sort of understands the course and how it works as a package for the horse and rider better than that course designer. So I thought that sounded like a, a good idea. I fully agree as well. And they know the questions that they are wanting and intending to ask horses and riders. So completely, as you said, it makes perfect sense for them to be more involved in in the decisions and and the running of the day itself. So I think that should be, it's definitely going to be a positive step moving forwards and interesting to see how, how that plays out in reality this year as well. Hmm. Great. Thank you, Lucy, for that. Eleanor, I'm coming back to you for a quick whisker update. Um, there's been some, some new news on whiskers this week. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so British dressage members may have uh, seen in their 2021 rule book that the there is a, a new rule under the horse welfare section that trimming of the horse's sensory hairs around the mouth, nose, ears and eyes is not permitted. Um, and this is in line with the FEI rule that we reported on last year and that comes into force this July, um, banning whisker removal. Okay, and this is happening in British eventing, I think, as well as British dressage? Yeah, so they said the same thing as BD, um, essentially that the, the rule will be sort of recommended this year, but it will really come into force next year. So, and that's allowing people time to, to prepare and make sure they're compliant. Time to prepare as in time to let your horse's whiskers grow, I think is what we're saying. Is that right? I think so. <laughs> okay, people, you heard it here first. It's time to let your horse's whiskers grow if you are someone who trims them. And although we're laughing, it is a serious point. You know, horses need those those sensory hairs. They're an important part of how they how they understand the world and, and it is a welfare issue. So uh, make sure those whiskers are growing back. And thank you to Lucy and Eleanor for joining us this week. So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent in southern England and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn and benefit from his techniques. Over to you, Jason. In this episode, we're going to talk about napping. Now, napping is a, is a very English word. I'd never heard of it until I'd um, travelled from Australia to and set up my training business over here. But napping is basically your horse not wanting to go where you want it to go or preferring to go back the other way. Now, I haven't got time to go into this extensively, but I've got three main things to think about. Before I start on those, though, it's important to note that your horse is fit and healthy. I have had some horses come in that have got um, some remedial problems and on closer inspection I found I found tooth abscesses, um, minor tears in, in a ligament that didn't even show up as lamenesses. So there's some things that are really hard even for a vet to find. Um, so and I, I do find with horses with remedial type problems one of the big indicators that your horse um, might be, might have a physical uh, problem is they don't learn. Um, they tend, you tend to show them and they, you can feel a sense of understanding, but the willingness to, to carry on with that understanding goes away and that indicates some sort of other impediment or pain. So the first thing with any remedial problems is uh, make sure your horse is fit and well. Now that being checked, if we get on to napping, then the first thing that can cause napping or a thing that can cause napping is following the contact or some people like to say accepting the contact. So if your horse is um, can't follow direction to the left just with your left rein or follow direction to the right easily, then you will have trouble directing your horse where you want it to go. So that's really, really important. A simple left, uh, left rein means go left, um, right means go right. Um, and it sounds really simple and my horse does that, but if you, does your horse follow it easily and 
move its whole body in in a in a, in alignment in that direction. If not, um, there is a tendency for horses to to drop the shoulder, and and that can manifest itself into um, stopping, spinning, um, rearing, all those types of uh, problems. And I do find with dressage being the the the, uh, the one of the biggest sports in this country. A lot of people see Carl Hester and, you know, the great riders riding their horse together and up. And if you try to ride your horse like that, when they're not accepting the contact, their body isn't able to flow. So you, you're, you sort of create this block for, and so your horse can't actually travel forward. And then, um, they start to look for other ways to 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 go round the bit or come away from the from the contact so it does take time to accept that sort of um throughness to the bridle and you have to be aware that following the contact left and right is your initial get out of jail as it were so accepting the contact or following the contact is really important the other thing that does cause napping is if your horse is behind the leg, uh, you might find one of the biggest causes of this is nagging. So when your horse isn't going quite forward enough, you, you start niggling away and that little niggle stops creating a forward response and therefore your horse becomes desensitized to your leg. And then your horse starts to drop behind the leg and suddenly your horse decides one day, I don't want to leave leave the leave the yard or I don't like the look of that and they stop and you don't have the the responses to your leg to get them to take that step forward. So it's really important that when you use your leg um, you you do get a forward response and it's like anything within training you start small and you have to build it up to to create till you feel that forward response. That will sometimes mean having to lift the energy. Sometimes I might even use a whip and again, I start small and I tap and I lift the energy till I find that point where my horse is compelled to, to move. They don't always move straight away in the correct direct uh, forward, but I will keep a certain amount of energy and release that energy as soon as they do. And it's that timing that keeps your horse in front of your leg. Feel a forward response, go with it. It's important not to just drop the contact when, you use your, um, when you're using your leg as well. If you just get a forward response and immediately take your leg off, then your horse can start to go, well, where have you gone? And that can create um, a horse that sort of starts to look for other ways out as well. For napping, if, if you have this problem, there are two things that, that are the causes and to be aware of. But generally speaking, the way to avoid creating or even fix this problem is to have purpose in what you're doing. So one of the key things I will tell people is A, make sure you can direct your horse. B, make sure your horse has response has a good response to your leg. C, look where you're going. So you must have a focal point and that, that has a profound effect on your communication with your horse. If 
you're looking where you're going, you have purpose, you have a, a will to get there, it's amazing how your horse picks up on that leadership and you'll get your horse back on the straight and narrow. So I hope those, uh, those three little uh, ideas and tips make sense and you can apply them and solve any napping issues. Thank you, Jason. That is the last instalment of Jason's mini-series. And next week in our advice segment, we welcome back top groom Alan Davies, who works for Charlotte Dujardin and Carl Hester. Alan will be with us for six weeks on the podcast and his first topic next week will be bringing horses back from holiday. Our guest will be Tullis Matson from Stallion AI Services, who will be speaking to us about all things breeding to tie in with the Sport Horse Breeding Special in the Horse and Hound magazine. And of course, we'll have the news team back to round up everything that's going on in the equestrian world. Please don't forget to rate, review and share the podcast to help us spread the word. It's fantastic to see the numbers growing all the time. Goodbye. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.